Mac Jones is ripped. Matt Patricia is calling plays. The Celtics are title favorites. And The Ringer has a new Boston show. I'm Brian Barrett, host of Off the Pike, the show covering all things Boston sports. I'll have shows multiple times a week covering your favorite teams and with your favorite Ringer and local guests. Plus, maybe Bill will stop by to rant about the Sox. Follow Off the Pike with me, Brian Barrett, now on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Hello, media consumers. Welcome to Press Box Final Edition. Ryan Curtis of The Ringer here, along with producer Erica Cervantes. Today's guest is The Ringer's very own Wozni Lambre, a.k.a. Big Woz. Woz, welcome to the Press Box. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Brian. I was expecting you to say my name like Wozni, like how you do David, but I guess I wasn't. No, no, no. Know, we we can we can redo guess. this. Wozni? <laughs> Love that. We got to talk about the Draymond Green documentary. Yeah. And the future of quote unquote new media. No, oh, God. Never has the phrase quote unquote been more applicable. Yeah. Uh, for those just coming to this, two weeks ago, Draymond Green punched his teammate Jordan Poole at a Golden State Warriors practice. Green held a big press conference. And then before the Warriors opening night game against the Lakers on Tuesday, TNT ran a mini documentary produced in part by Green himself in which Green talked about punching his teammate. Sort of. So let's start there, Waz. What did you make of the documentary? <laughs> It was a waste of everybody's time, right? Uh, five minutes of this guy saying nothing about anything. Uh, and you know, if Seinfeld was the show about nothing, uh, this was the documentary about nothing. Like, we don't learn how Draymond feels. We don't learn how he wants to carry himself going forward, how he wants to deal with the situation, remedy the situation. We don't learn anything. He doesn't say anything about it, but he, you know, they do the whole sort of mini doc because there's an understanding that this is a huge story <laughs> that this guy's involved in. And because Draymond Green has made himself into a media figure, if you are personally involved in a huge media story, like, you know, he's self-conscious enough to know that I have to address it but the way that he went about addressing it was to not say or do anything at all, which is, it's just curious. You wonder what the thinking is as to why he would feel the need to do that, that way. 
I think part of it is, and this goes to the whole new media question is you stop thinking like a player and a teammate and you start thinking like a producer mm. because you are also a producer. Yeah. And as a producer of the great the Draymond Green television show or podcast or whatever you're doing, you're like, this is when I want to hear from you. Not when you beat the Kings by 10 <laughs> points in February. <laughs> That's okay. But when I want to hear from you is right now, when you are the center of attention, when you're in the middle of this huge story. So I guess that's part of what it is when you become a producer. You can't just be like, you know what? I'm not talking to the media today. You know what? I've said everything I have to say about this. You have to go out there, even if, as you point out, you don't wind up saying much. Yeah, and and the thing, and here's the thing about Draymond Green as media member. There have been times where he's decided to be candid. Uh, I think people who are familiar with his work will remember how he unloaded on Kendrick Perkins for having bad things to say about him. And, you know, he said pretty much the worst things you can say about a black man, period. He essentially called him an Uncle Tom and a coon on his podcast. So, like, Draymond Green is not somebody who's afraid to say stuff <laughs> when, when given the chance uh, in his on his media platforms, right? So the idea that he would come out and do this, I think it speaks to a couple of things. One, as I mentioned on our podcast group chat, uh, I think... He understands that he can't come out and apologize. Being apologetic is not a thing that public people do anymore. And I honestly attribute it to Donald Trump, where he set the example and was just like, don't apologize. Double down, as a matter of fact. Don't look back. Because when you yourself put it on the record that you did something messed up, then your critics and your haters, so to speak will just literally point at your own words about yourself and bury you with them. And I think Draymond Green intuitively understands, like, I can't come out and say, this was one of the worst things that could possibly be done by a teammate, and I deserve all the ridicule I'm getting for it. So he knows he can't come out and apologize because of that fact, but he still wants to play the content game. And, and so that's what he does. And, and I think it's, you know, speaks to a larger problem with, quote-unquote, new media player-driven media is I think players understand that people want to know about them and want to hear what they have to say, but they don't understand what it is people want to know about them or what it is people want to hear them uh, speak about. And that's where the disconnect happens, where <laughs> if you've ever been in locker rooms enough and you spend enough time around players they don't, most of them don't truly understand the role of the media. A lot of players look at the media as like, you need us for your job and your content. And a lot of them feel like the media works for them, right? Like you guys are our pawns essentially because you're so dependent of us. Your jobs are a function of our existence. And a lot of them have this sense, but they don't really know how it works, how the media goes out and promotes the game or explains the game or whatever, whatever it is that the media is tasked to do in and around the given sport. So I think their lack of understanding of how media works and how it functions is why we get this disjointed athlete media where it's like, I could do this. I could talk about myself <laughs> in a way that people find compelling. And, you know, they fail at it over and over again. What was so interesting about this one, 
was it felt like it was from the sports documentary toolkit. <laughs> we start with that big beauty shot of the Golden Gate Bridge. And it's like, this is every episode of Hard Knocks I've ever yeah. seen. Except in Hard Knocks, Liev Schreiber would do this little pun where he'd go, forecast in the Warriors locker room, foggy. Or something like that. Like he would, they would at least like marry the beauty shot to what we're going to talk about today. And also, you got to love this the disembodied voices of people on first take that are the soundtrack of all these documentaries. I think Tom Brady's washed up. He'll never win another Super Bowl. I think so and so. Like there's got to be one PA at every one of these production houses at Omaha or whatever that is like, just watch first take, get me the disembodied voices. And that we will string these together. But the funny part about this is usually the disembodied voices are held up for ridicule. In the Draymond mini doc, they all sounded really reasonable. You're like, yeah, it, it, <laughs> what he did was really bad. And it, it is going to be very tough for that team to overcome. So I love this. The doc is, you know, it's it's taking cues from all of the all of different sorts of media that are related to this documentary. And then my favorite part is the Draymond Green mega close-up, where it's just like dark, like everything else is dark, and you know, the spotlight is like literally on the guy's face. And it's this close-up, and like as a viewer, you think he's about to say something profound. Like recently, I watched um Carmichael, the, the comedian, he did this special called uh Rothaniel essentially where he comes out of the closet, right? He um, tells the world that he's a gay man, which is this like, you know, this like deep truth that he's he's opening himself up. He's like naked to the world, right? This like, so, he's so vulnerable in this moment and is shot in that way. Um, Rothanyu, everybody who's listening to this should go watch it. I think it's an excellent um, piece of art. And Draymond Green is shot in a similar way in, in his little mini doc, except he's not delivering some, you know, vulnerable message and opening himself up to the world. If anything, he's like pretty defiant and again, saying nothing. And being like really arrogant, it's it's so bizarre that anybody would think that this was good, that this is a good piece of media that the public is going to love. They're going to eat this up. It just speaks to a sort of out of touchness and a tone deafness that a lot of this athlete driven media has. So if we get the extreme close up, we as a viewers have the right to demand that we are going to get a certain level of honor. I think so. <laughs> I think that's reasonable. <laughs> and what we got here was, this was the damning quote everybody cited. He says, I was told the world has been able to see one of your worst moments. Look at all the upside you have now. <laughs> I mean, that's certainly one way to spin it, uh, that this is rock bottom and it can only go up from there. But I I mean, some people might say this was my worst moment. And I want to explain to people why I'm better than this. This is not indicative of my character. This is where I failed. This is how I'm going to do better. This is why I, you know, maybe try to explain where you were when you performed this heinous act. Like, none of it. It's just, it's just none of it. It's just platitudes. And I think I, I don't want to psychoanalyze these dudes. Brian, but I think a lot of this comes from a place where athletes 
feel the need to want to come off as evolved, as I'm not a dumb jock. I'm not like Kevin Durant starts the boardroom because it's there's this narrative of broke athlete wasting his money, spending frivolously, you know, essentially being stupid with his money and his riches and the fortunes that he's gotten. Um, which, by the way, like a part of that narrative is this idea that athletes are bestowed this money, not that they earn it, that they go out and earn it, that they're fortunate, that they're lucky to get this money. And so a lot of this athlete-driven stuff is counter to that narrative. It's like, no, 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 I'm a venture capitalist. You understand? Like, I'm Elon Musk. I'm like, I'm a genius at money. It's not just that I'm not going to waste and squander my riches. I'm going to triple it. I'm going to quadruple it. I'm a arch capitalist, right? And so that's what a lot of the messaging is. It's counter-programming to what they think are negative dialogues that happen, negative narratives that happen around athletes. And so Draymond's trying to say, identify the feeling, process the feeling. This, the fit, it's, it's like, bro, this is sports, bro. This is not what the people come to you for. The people do not care if you are an involved person or not. I think the people in your life should. You know, your family, your colleagues, the people that you deal with on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, they care about what type of person you are. Maybe you're the type of person who don't punch somebody in the face at work. Yeah, those folks might care about this. The fans, the people who are consuming your work, bro, they don't give a damn about this, you know, psycho babble that you're going through. It's just, again, it's, it's so out of touch. I want to circle back to something you talked about on group chat. How do you think these new media ventures on TV and elsewhere have changed the way fans see athletes? I think a lot of it is problematic, honestly, in the sense that I don't know why these athletes would want to self-style themselves as venture capitalists. That's There's nothing less relatable than a rich guy who buys stuff and makes money off of it. That's not relatable. And... You got to contrast it with Allen Iverson, right? Uh, Who is literally a cultural figure who in his prime was speaking to damn near every single neighborhood, every single black neighborhood in America. And then by proxy, the burbs, right? Where white kids are getting cornrows and doing all kinds of crazy stuff because of Allen Iverson. But like this guy was speaking to, and he had an everyman quality to him. And that's why he achieved this cult hero status. Like this guy was like, no, I'm speaking to directly to a normal black person. Every single one of you, you know, all of my troubles, all of my successes, like the adversities I've overcome, I'm speaking directly to a normal, everyday person. Who in the hell is James Harden speaking to when he dresses like some dude straight out of, uh, you know, Vogue magazine? Like, there's no audience for that. There's no constituency for that. And that's why I think it's problematic that these dudes are filling themselves up Filling, people are filling their heads with this idea like, no, this is the imaging you should be putting out there because it doesn't speak to anybody, bro. Like, I get it. You don't want people to think you're some idiot, jock, dumbass. No, we don't want people to think that. But like, bro, like at, at a certain point, don't you want people to think that 
they have something in common with you. You know what I'm saying? Like, none of this speaks to that, you know? Um, and God bless LeBron. You know, full disclosure to the audience, I've worked for Uninterrupted before. I got nothing but love and respect for all of the people who work there. And I think they've done a pretty good job at some of this stuff. But I do think even LeBron, um, at his worst, has gotten bogged down in this hyper-manicured messaging. Um, I don't think people respond to that kind of stuff. I think people want to feel like you're a human being and they do want to connect with you. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, File a claim right on the State Farm mobile app and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. At IKEA, your dream home is a blue bag away. No matter the size of your space or budget, we've got everything you need to turn your dreams into reality. And now with new lower prices on hundreds of our most popular products, bringing the dream home is even easier. Like the gray strandum wing chair was $369, now $299. And the IKEA Plus 365 nine-piece cookware set was $129.99, now $89.99. And hundreds more. Shop new lower prices at ikea-usa.com today. That's so interesting because the roots of new media, again, if that's the term for a lot of these productions, is the image you're getting of me through the old media is not a true image. It's reduced, you know, I'm being treated like a character on a television show, you're not seeing all the sides of me. You're not seeing me as a fully realized human being. So I'm going to create something that's going to help you see that. But what you're saying is that in a lot of these productions, that does not come through as a, as a fully realized, <laughs> as, a, as, a, as a, at least as a relatable person. Let me ask you, Brian, in, you, in your life, have you found that people around you who love sports have been moved by these things? Like, I don't meet pe like uh, people in my life who want to talk to me about sports. Like, whenever they find out what I do for a living, they're not talking about athlete-driven media. There's, <laughs> nobody comes up to me and says, yo, did you hear what LeBron said on the shop? That's not a thing that people are connecting with. I'm sure people watch it because at the end of the day, these are still celebrities. These are still famous people. Um, and our culture is still obsessed with fame and celebrity. And so they're going to earn a certain amount of attention no matter what. But the idea that this stuff is connecting and it's landing on a deeper level, I have a hard time believing that. And by the way, like we used to be good at athlete propaganda, right? Like, people ask me all the time if, if, I, if I grew up a Knicks fan being a New York City neighbor. I was like, no, I was obsessed with Jordan. And guess what? It's because I was being propagandized by Gatorade, Nike, Hanes, um, the NBA itself. All of these people were just is explaining to me why I need to love Mike, why Mike relates to us, why Mike is the guy. Um, 
and yeah, like we used to do great propaganda. And, and I'm not saying like that I'm above being affected by propaganda because I think when it's tastefully done, it can work. I just think this stuff is ham handed and it's kind of it's so influenced by their own vanity. It's obvious. It doesn't take some deep media thinker like you and I, Brian, to see through it. <laughs> I think normal people see through the artifice of all of this. I can't remember it was Verrier Mahoney on group chat. It was talking about all the shots of Draymond hugging his daughter that were interspersed yeah. <laughs> into the documentary. Which had a certain like video at a political convention mm-hmm. feel. Like here is here is me interacting with you my children. You can't say something bad about the kids. Yeah. Which is just like, yeah, okay, you like your own kid. You're nice to your own kid, Draymond. I don't know that a lot of people will be moved by the fact that you care about your own child. <laughs> There's a certain glossiness that creeps in. I mean, and I yeah. don't know. I, I hope for your case you have not seen the Joe Montana documentary on Peacock. I, I, I watched it. I watched, I watched most of it. I, I stopped watching it up until he got to Kansas City because I didn't want to be depressed. <laughs> that was that was really awkward to me. That was an awkward piece of filmmaking. It was awkward because Joe Montana was score settling um, with the 49ers and uh, Bill Walsh and the idea that he was mistreated. It, it, it was a celebration of Montana's greatness. And it's just like, in case you forgot, before Brady and Manning and all these other cats, <laughs> there was me, okay? Um, which would have been fine, but there was a tinge of F you to it that I, I guess I'd never associated with Joe Montana. I've always associated Joe Cool. I always bought into that image of the coolest, slickest white boy in football, right? Like, there was, yeah, it, it was prickly that I, I wasn't expecting that from the Joe Montana doc. But, but like, I enjoyed interacting with his greatness once again, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he would also do this thing whenever he gave a quote or a little soundbite to the doc, he would just start uncomfortably laughing at the end of every soundbite. It would just trail off with him going, (laughs) 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 which just put me on edge for some reason. I don't know why that was the, and that's, that's the funny thing, right? Because like a lot of people watch the last dance when we were all inside at the beginning of the pandemic and we're like, Oh, this is pretty great. Or a lot of this is pretty great. I had, I had a lot of issues with it because I felt like, I would watch Jordan complain about Pippen getting surgery and be like, well, that was selfish. Meanwhile, I'm leaving my team for two years to play minor league baseball, which is <laughs> not a selfish act at all. And I would be like, wait, that doesn't really track. But I think one one thing that's interesting about a lot of these productions is where people draw their own individual line as viewers. So the thing about The Last Dance that I suspect people liked is that Mike showed you some his fangs. Mike showed you the dark side of things. And I think people are drawn to that. That's what's missing from everything else. That like, Mike is like, yes, like, yes, I was I was truly great, but there were moments where I was a horrible person and punched Steve Kerr in the face. And I thought, I took that and, and Mike was like, but that to me was part of the process of becoming the greatest winner this sport has ever freaking seen. Right. Um, Outside of Bill Russell, of course. But I think that's what people responded to. The fangs. Honestly, I think if Mike would have just done, you know, oh, we worked so hard to win six championships. 
I don't think this would have resonated as much and generated as much chatter and interest if Mike didn't let people see some of the other stuff. I think it's important that people, and, and that's what I mean with the Draymond. It's like, there's a way to spin this. Like, yo, I'm just this really hyper competitive guy. And sometimes that gets the best of me. And it manifests itself in ugly ways. But usually, 98% of the time, it's in service of my team. It's in service of winning. I think people would have been able to be like, it's hard to argue with the results of that, right? It's hard to argue with that logic. Instead, we don't we don't get that. We we don't get an explanation. I think Mike was Mike was like, no, this ugly stuff comes with the greatness. You can't separate this. Um, and to you know to be Michael at six rings, greatest winner of all time. Before that, you still got to be Michael that punches Steve Kerr in the face at practice. That belittles you know, Scott Burrell in front of his teammates that, you know, says the meanest, most belittling things about Jerry Krause. Like, he explains that those two things are in marriage with one another in a way that, again, a lot of this athlete-driven stuff just doesn't. So you have to be willing as an athlete to cop to that part of your personality or else have people come onto the dock and talk about that part of your personality. Yeah, nobody's coming to see Mr. Rogers. We don't come to sports for that. And that and that was the thing, because I'm not going to lie, I can't speak out of both sides of my mouth, right? Meaning there was a, a certain level of pearl clutching on Twitter. And let's face it, Brian, the most hyper-liberal segment of the NBA audience exists on Twitter, right? Like, not in not the NBA's audience at large, the, the most hyper-liberal section of the audience, and I'm not saying this as some arch-conservative, I'm not. I'm just saying the most hyper-liberal segment of the audience exists on Twitter. And there's this, heavens, no, this couldn't happen at my job, at my accounting firm. I'm like, bro, like, first of all, at your job, I would think that nobody boxes you out doesn't over the back, puts his sweaty armpit on your forehead when you guys are at the coffee machine. That don't happen at your job. Like, your job doesn't involve physical contact all day, every single day. That Like, your job is not like that, one. And stop comparing the NBA to your job. And second, I think part of what we like about sports is that it's not like our jobs, it's not like our lives. It is its own thing in a separate space. And yes, I did roll my eyes at some of the pearl clutching that went on with Draymond. Like, yeah, he did a messed up thing. His team is going to discipline him in a way that they think is necessary. And life is going to go on, right? And nobody's saying what he did was right or excusable. It's not going to be excused. He's going to be punished for it. Um, but the way that people dealt with it online, I'm just like, guys, like, grow up. Like, understand that the NBA is different from our lives, you know? So these things are not going away, new media productions, whether in the form of movies, documentaries, podcasts, like the one Draymond himself mm -hmm. does. What does a good or interesting one look like? I mean, to me, it's KG talking to the All the Smoke guys. Um, and explaining his journey from South Carolina to Chicago to, you know, to the NBA and him explaining the details of that journey 
in a way that the interviewees can understand. They can understand ABCD camp, what it means to go there, what it's like to be there. They can understand draft night. They can understand your first year in the league. They can understand the first time Shaq gives you an elbow to your chest. To me, that's the best version of this media is when those guys are interacting with each other and they can bring a clarity to their experiences that you or I could not while talking to KG. To me, that's the best version of it. And KG explaining his rivalry with LeBron while he was on the Celtics and all of that stuff. To me, that's the best version of it. Them offering nuance and insights that we just don't have. Um, them offering insights into their lives as, as athletes. Um, even me as somebody who is proximate to it, especially here in L.A., where I see these guys out enough because of my own so social circles. And like, I'm not an athlete. I don't, my life is not mirrored by the, it's, there's nothing in common with them, right? Where I might see, just for an example, to let the listeners know, I might be at a spot, a hot spot here in LA, and you might see an NBA player on the pecking order of, I don't even know, like, Who's a, like a mid-level star quarterback in the NFL? Like Marcus Mariota. Okay. A Marcus Mariota level NBA player is out. This guy, not only does he have four, five, six of the most beautiful women in his section, there's like another 15 adjacent that are dying to get in there. This is for the Marcus Mariota of the, of the NBA. This does not mirror you or ours lives in any way, shape, or form. They're just weird things about their lives, right? That you and me can't understand. I use the women part of it because that's something that everybody understands that athletes have access to women in a way that a dentist just doesn't, right? To me, the best media is explaining the nuances of that experience. It's them explaining their experience in our world um, and how unique it is. The worst of it is Draymond Green. <laughs> it's Draymond Green's five-minute documentary of, of nothingness. Last one for you, Waz. We're doing a journalism-slash-media movie countdown here at the Press Box. Do you have a favorite media movie you'd like to nominate? Yeah, for me, it's Spotlight. Um and it's because I grew up a Catholic boy myself, went to Catholic school from grades one through 12. And so um, watching them sort of unpack the way power and influence works within the Catholic church, sort of demystifying it in a way that I'd never understood as just a participant in the, you know, community, that that to me, that's a movie that'll always stick with me because I can remember when all of this stuff started happening, meaning it's the um, abuses of young children started being exposed in the media, not when it was happening, but when it got exposed, I was like, holy moly, like what? This could happen in the Catholic church? I remember being just dumbfounded by the fact, I remember 
older people in my family coming up to me and being like, did Father Andy ever touch you? And I was like, uh, no, I think I would have told y'all if that happened. But like, yeah, like this was a sort of a, a meteoric event in my life when it, when this stuff got exposed. And so to watch it in the movie um, and, and then sort of unravel that whole thing, that, that, that's always going to be an experience that stays with me. You can catch Waz everywhere on the Ringer Podcast Network. <laughs> Wozny, thanks for coming on the Press Box. <laughs> My man, Brian, thanks for having me on, bro. All right, it's time for the second weekly edition of David Shoemaker Guesses the Strain Pun Headline. Yeah. Monday's headline about how dinosaurs survived the cold was Jurassic Perka. Today's headline comes from Joseph Cranny. It's from the York Sunday News. The York Sunday News. Like York, uh, England or like York, Pennsylvania? Yeah, we're going York, Pennsylvania here, your corner of the world. All right. I'll give you the subhead here. Battling climate change at a Pennsylvania winery. Okay. Pull quote says, I've never seen that kind of rain before, but it's happening more regularly. So a winery versus climate change. What was the York Sunday News's strain pun headline? Um, so I'm like, this isn't going to be like a water into wine joke, is it? Um, <laughs> it's not. Uh, the, the rain is a little bit of a global warming. Red um, herring. Glo- uh, climate change. Um, vineyard. We make the wine, wine with. A press, uh, grapes, mm-hmm. uh, the Why grapes don't we start of wrath, grapes. Of Ooh, what if grape- we do a little flippo on the that wrath one? of grapes? The, ra- the wrath of grapes. That's great. The wrath of grapes. He is David Shoemaker. I'm Brian Curtis. Production magic by Erica Cervantes. Back Monday with more lukewarm takes about the media. See you then, David. See you later, Brian.